Let's see. So, well, let's see. Well, welcome to Says Who. We have a oh, lot Oh, wait. Hang to on, co- Maureen. Before we, um, before we start, I just, there's, there's, uh, there, it looks like there's something breaking on the New York Times right now. Hang on. Um, all right. No, you know, you know what? Let, we'll, we'll talk about it, uh, in a minute. You just go ahead. Okay. So, Welcome to Says Who, though. Today we have a lot to cover. There's been a lot going on in the last oh, few Oh, hang weeks. on, Maureen. It looks like there's now there's something else breaking on the Washington Post. I think something's breaking over there. Looks do you like... want to do you want to stop? Do you want to No. Uh, right. No, you know what? Right. We'll just we'll add it to the list. Uh, just, okay. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so welcome to Says Who. We've got a number of things to talk about this. Uh, it's been two weeks, huh? <laughs> hang on, Lots Maureen. Of... It looks mm-hmm. like BuzzFeed has something as well. Trump Russia. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to? Okay, yeah. Should we? Should, should we? Should we? Should we stop? Should we? No. You know what? Let's just let the music roll. Welcome to Says Who, the podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a breaking news report. I'm Maureen Johnson. And I'm Dan Sinker, and oh. oh my God, Maureen, there is a lot. There is a lot. There is a lot that is literally happening this second, and a lot that has happened over the last two weeks since we last spoke to everyone. <laughs> there is this isn't a healthy. Lot. This isn't healthy. It's not healthy that we're doing this. It's not healthy that we're going back over it. It's not good, Dan. It's not. Uh, we are, though, going to sort of review the minor events of the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're also going to be joined uh, this this episode by Clara Jeffrey from Mother Jones, so we'll be able to hear from her in a little bit. But Maureen, I believe you spent a little bit of time this afternoon compiling a chronology. <sighs> yes, I was. When we last spoke, Dan, we spoke on May 3rd. That was the day. Times. Well, actually, we spoke on May second. The day we re- released this was May third, and I just made a just a little timeline. Says Huvians of, you you know you may you've undoubtedly heard about some of the things that have been going on, but maybe you've lost track of what happened when. So we're I here to help. Have yeah, we're here to help. Anybody would be confused about these things, so uh, we made a little timeline, and. Uh, What's amazing about this timeline is that it just kind of hits a few bullet points, but there's so much it doesn't get to. So on May 3rd, James Comey testifies and says that the thought of influencing the election by releasing the uh, information about Hillary Clinton, the investigation that kind of went nowhere, uh, that that made him mildly nauseous. Mildly. And we were all all like, ugh. Shut up. Like, you know, we were all we were all tremendously unimpressed. Um, yeah. The very next day, May 4th. Remember this? The health care bill. I, I was just thinking today about like that health care bill vote was real recent and is like a huge fucking thing. And it's like, oh, right. The health care bill vote feels yeah. so quaint now. Like that actual, was... actual terrible legislation moving through uh, the various, you know, ways that legislation sort of moves. Yeah, the bill that was worse than the one they put through before, it's somehow impossibly worse 
Uh, yep, that was that went through on May fourth. Then we had a, a probably a kind of quiet weekend in there. Was he golfing? I think he may have. Oh, been. he he went to New Jersey. Uh, stayed. Ah. He disrupted your town briefly, and then and then stayed at his golf club in New Jersey for the whole weekend. Oh did, no, Dad. Did a little he golfing. Did, he didn't come here, and then he tweeted about how he didn't come here to save us all money. That's oh, he didn't bur- stay. He came very briefly. He had that. Uh, he had the meeting with the prime minister of Australia, in which he joked about how much better Australia's healthcare system is than America's. <sighs> then he went and golfed. Damn! Damn it! <laughs> Maybe we need music under this or something, just something peppy. To... All right, let's keep going. All right, so May 8th. May 8th, a hero rises and Sally Yates testifies. We all enjoyed watching Ted Cruz, the saddest man in the world. Um, the sitcom character from some as yet unwritten sitcom gets his ass handed to him by Sally Yates. There are those little glimmers, those moments of like, oh, this is what it feels like to feel joy. Yeah. On that day, we didn't know it, but Time Magazine was walking around with Trump in the White House. uh, And that the results of that walking around would come out in an article a couple days later. But I just wanted to let you know that happened on the 8th. May 9th. We were just kind of saying i believe someone had just said you know how it seemed to be kind of a quieter couple days you know the healthcare it had been since you know the four it had been four or five days since we'd broken the healthcare system so we were enjoying um, a relative quiet and in the middle of the afternoon trump suddenly fires the head of the fbi and this this is when the circus really comes to town like a lot of you, you know, we run over, you turn on the television, you go, Beza, it's a thing, ha, ha, the thing has happened. And then you just kind of run around with your hands kind of in a kind of a goalpost gesture. If you're me, like, oh, oh so things are happening. And then everyone was confused. The initial uh, report was that he fired him because they sent that letter in which he said three times about how he's like, I know that you're not investigating me, and it's a good thing you're not investigating me, and thanks for not investigating me, but I'm firing you. This catches everyone. He doesn't tell anybody that he's going to do this, Not even his staff. He doesn't, he, he, Comey is literally delivering a speech to FBI employees in LA, and TVs behind him display that he has been fired. And he thought it was a practical joke that they were playing on him. By nightfall, all hell had broken loose. And um, Sean Spicer, attempting to run, who had apparently been on a naval exercise or something, is trying to get back into his office in the White House and ends up hiding in a hedge in full view of all the photographers. The image of that, I mean... We are now, you know, so far, we are only seven days past this moment, but it feels like forever ago. But that moment of a dozen reporters live tweeting Sean Spicer hiding behind a hedge. 
was amazing. This is our real life now. This is our actual life. Ah, uh, drink it in. Sean Spicer. Enjoying some hedge salad. Hedge salad is is a salad. That's a salad. That we another another proclamation from says who hedge salad is a salad. Watergate salad is the official salad of says who, but hedge salad is is a salad. Please put this on your says who salad charts. Important to keep those up to date. May tenth. Oh, so Jesus, Maureen, <laughs> this is insane. Like we're no, this, we're, uh, we're, so we're, n- we're not even like to the really crazy stuff yet. Well, sort of uh, we are, but we aren't. May 10th, as if to be like, you've, you thought yesterday was bad. Just wait, you see what I've got lined up today. It, giving two middle fingers to everybody. Trump meets with the Russian top uh, diplomat uh, in the White House. Not just the top diplomat. That was the that was the. That was the announced meeting. But in fact, when photos came out that, of course, were not U.S. press photos, but were Russian state press photos because they were the only press invited in. It turned out that also our old friend, Ambassador Kislyak, was in on the meeting as well. He appeared on no White House releases of the meeting. His name did not appear. Yes. Without the Russian fucking state photos, we would never know that the guy that seemed to meet with everyone from Trump's campaign during the election is suddenly in the White House meeting with Trump as well. That's correct. You didn't imagine any of this. Uh, later that day, Henry Kissinger also <laughs> meets with, with Trump. I forgot about that. Yes. Oh, God. Oh. Uh. And that's funny for a lot of reasons. You gotta give the ability for this team to be so utterly tone deaf is kind of incredible. Like, to the point that it's like, which one of these people is, like, the amazing underminer of everything? I think it's also worth explaining, because if you you might be... uh, you might not know why it's so weird that Henry Kissinger is in this office. Um, so we should provide a little bit of context. You have been spending a lot of time reading all the president's men. Continue. And, oh, please. I'm well past that now. Everyone laughed <laughs> at me, Dan. They all said, Maureen, she walks around. Listen to all the president's men. I'm like, no, no, well past it. I'm in now 22 hours deep in just a day by day blow of events in 1974. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm listening to Washington Journal now, which is 22 straight hours of just day by day journaling of everything that happened. Um, Henry Kissinger was Nixon's Secretary of State. And uh, a character, just a like a just a very just a it's hard to classify him. Like I feel like I heard so much about this guy growing up, but he he would forever be tainted as the guy that kind of was there with Trump until the end. And there's the night before Trump. uh, Sorry, (laughs) um, before Nixon resigned. Sorry, I meant to say. (laughs) Oops. 
Yeah. Oops. Uh, night before. So he's with Nixon and uh, he's Nixon's secretary of state. And the night before Nixon resigns, because spoiler alert, Nixon had to resign. Uh, there's a kind of famous scene of the two of them on their knees praying. There's debate as to which room it or there's, I think, conflicting stories about which room it happened in. But um, so he is this prominent Watergate figure. And uh, just <laughs> shady in a lot of ways. And um, so, uh, yes, so Trump brings him in. So after, gee, I don't. I don't need to tell you the guys the context. They had the Russians in that morning, you know. So anyway, <laughs> May 11th. Now, uh, May 11th, the story that I've mentioned that ha- the Times reporters that went on the 8th, a story appears called Donald Trump After Hours, which I'm going to put up on the Pinterest page. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. It is. It is something. And I say that as someone who's like, it's like you feel like you can't be shocked anymore. But this is a, he he leads these time reporters around the White House and he he genuinely has the demeanor of a small deranged child. And he's kind of like, look how great this is. Look, they, they just want to make me happy. Look, they made, they painted that for me. And look at this. And then he takes them to the dining room and says, look, look. And they're like, this is where he has his snacks. And he points at the wall. And he's like, I had that installed. And he's got like a 60-inch television on the wall so that when he eats his snacks, mm. he can watch the 60-inch television. And he's like, watch, watch. And then he sits and he starts rewinding all the news clips that he tapes. And he's like, isn't TiVo great? And I'm me, I'm thinking, TiVo? You got a TiVo? Do they still make TiVo? Is that still a thing? I think um, TiVo is still a thing. Is it? Yeah. I, I'm not much of a thing, but I think it's a thing. But the best part of this, and we can we can break this down further, but the absolute best part of this is they sit down for a meal with the president, and we find out that everyone at the table gets one scoop of ice cream with their chocolate cream pie. But Trump gets two. President two scoops. Meanwhile, uh, that day, Trump sits down with Lester Holt of NBC. God. I just, I can't. Uh, that all of this happened in the last few days. Yeah. Continue. I feel like we've traveled through a wormhole. <laughs> no wonder I feel so fucking tired, Maureen. <laughs> like, no wonder. Yeah. It's relentless. He sits down with Lester Holt and gives this bananas. Again, bananas. And the man doesn't, I mean, you're not going to get an interview with Trump that it's not bananas. So, I mean, I don't know why I, cl- I clarify it. But uh, he sits down with Lester Holt and pretty much straight up admits, because the White House for days has been saying, well, the president asked for advice and he was given advice and taking that advice. That's why he fired James Coleman. He's like, Nope. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I asked, you know, I, no matter what that guy said, I was going to fire him anyway. Because, you know, this Trump-Russia thing, I thought it's fake news. I, you know, I, so everyone kind of wonders, well, he just kind of admitted it. Shrug, yep. May 12th. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing. And, 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 and we haven't even gotten to the part where this happens again. But this whole idea that they trot out all these various people you know like news breaks they 
trot out a bunch of administration people to basically say, no, none of that's true, or here's the story, you know, this is what the deal is. It seems like they issue some sort of a, a, you know, official press timeline or release about it. Then they usually do an amended one. Then they do sort of a third or fourth one. And then he will show up somewhere the next day and contradict all of it, right? Like, it's it's this amazing propensity for being like, oh, cool, you just took that bullet from me? Awesome, I'm throwing you under the bus now. Dan, I watched a couple Sean Spicer or and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders press briefings this week because apparently I don't know how to live my goddamn life. Is she and- act- like, there aren't two idiot Huckabees in the world, right? She, she is, is somehow- his daughter. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, she's his daughter. And she is an angry lady. But she does speak in kind of, I mean, it's all nonsense, but she does kind of speak in sentences. Uh, they both look angry. They all, I imagine, are very angry. I think they're all pretty sad. You get these looks and you see Sean Spicer and he just looks like, we all kind of, I think, believe that there's some weird humanity in Sean Spicer. That little look in his eyes that suggests he's still in there. And I kind of, it's like, I realize it's like I want to believe that one of them is trying to communicate to us from the upside down by flickering the lights. Like they want to tell us how to get there and get them out. Uh, I really want you, I really want you to have a Spicer lights wall now, Maureen. Oh, that would be a beautiful thing. And just like in... Just like in Stranger Things, it just keeps blinking at you. Run. (laughs) So May 12th. Now we're on May 12th. Trump wakes up and he goes on a Twitter tirade because he's not happy. And he's he's unhappy because the, the press on this is bad. And he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why it's bad. He he thought everybody would be happy with him because he's not bright. And <laughs> so, so he goes on a Twitter tirade, and one of the many things that he says on this tirade is that James Tomey better hope there are no tapes of their meeting. To oh. which I imagine James Comey threw back his head and laughed. Laugh like a drain. Laugh until he fell out of his chair. Laughing up his sleeve, if you will. So, uh, I believe it was also on the 12th, but... Uh, the the White House, the Sean Spicer basically has to say from the, you know, all the press come out and they're like, Sean, Sean, every day you tell, you said it was this, then it's this, you say it's this, then it's this, and then he comes out and says it's this. And they basically had to make an announcement that you can't expect the things that come out of the White House press office to be accurate. That, that is what Trump said. Like that was part of that. That was part of that Twitter tirade was you can't expect them to have total accuracy. I'm a busy guy. I believe his defense was specifically I'm an active person. Yeah, I'm just so busy. Which was later contradicted. I think was it in the Washington Post where it talked about his belief that exercise is a really bad idea because it drains the finite amount of energy that you have in your body. It was quite a week, you guys. Um, yes, he he has the belief that a human being is like a battery. And, and it'll run out. And it runs out of energy. So you shouldn't exercise because you'll use up your battery life. 
it it was the moment that I I read that that I I it suddenly it was like has anyone asked him if the world is round or flat? <laughs> like he literally thinks he, <laughs> there's a finite amount of energy. And that you can And use so it it's up best to be slothful. Yeah, you know, there's that people people we all harbor our own pet beliefs. Um and you know, if you you get to know people. We our kooky beliefs come out. Like you'll be talking to someone that oh, there's always oh, seems normal, and you'll gradually realize over a long conversation that say they believe they own a haunted tube of toothpaste, and you're like, oh, that what just happened? And then they kind of just keep going on. Trump's entire worldview is just a like a quilt of these things because, as we found out, I believe it was yesterday. Was it yesterday that because uh, we have to try to keep going in order, but uh, that he has his aides put actual fake news in front of him, like debunked yeah. things to kind of keep him happy. So they'll print out fake news stories or, or you know, well-known kind of like modified covers of things to kind of make him think like, oh, this is, see that? Like they, they, they literally have, he has literally has people around him that just, basically feed him a bunch of garbage so um and then he has this while he's presumably while he's having his snacks and watching his big television and you guys it's really bad um uh, so then so, we hit the weekend it was mother's day oh. did you uh did you get did you give your mother a call i called my mother i did indeed yeah, I, I saw my mother on Saturday, and then on on Sunday, me and and Janice and the kids went on a a, a big walk in a actually a beautiful little nature preserve in Chicago that I had never been to before. Um, yeah, you know what? Oh, you know what? <laughs> I said, you know what golf did? You know what Trump did on uh, Mother's Day? Presumably, he spent it with Melania and his son, and he did not, Maureen. He went golfing. In a wholly different state than where his son and his 11-year-old son and his wife live. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm to be going honest, golfing. I-, I can only imagine that Mul- that's the nicest gift you can give Melania is to just I will not, not be, be ar- there. Yeah. I'd be delighted personally. I can't imagine that that, that was upsetting for her. No, but again, with the whole like... Y'all know what this looks like. You, yeah. The you, nobody's thinking that it seems strange. Like what? No. Now Monday comes. That's you know. Yesterday, today is May sixteenth. It's a Tuesday. I think it is. I can't. It is. I can remember anymore. So the fifteenth. Now we think. Surely, we've had quite a week last week. Maybe we'll get some quiet this week. First part of the day, relatively quiet. We think. All right, now we can get into some serious discussions about all the stuff that happened. Oh, nope, we sat down yesterday to speak uh, with our guest today. And just as we sat down, like, it was like 20 minutes before. Within I ha- mi- yeah, like 15, I, 20 minutes. I look at my phone, I'm like, huh? And then I think you also, yeah. you were I'd somehow. Come, I recorded my basement and uh, my wife and... Uh, little baby were down here and I came walking downstairs and she was like, have you heard the news? And I was like, no, I've been working super hard. What's up? News broke around, say, 4, 4.30, somewhere around that yesterday afternoon that Trump, in that meeting, 
with the Russians on that day after he met with Comey and had the Russians in, he was giving away classified information. <laughs> Pretty cash. Um, the White House immediately issued a denial. Yeah. It, like the, the post says he did it basically to impress them. Like he was like, I get the best intel. Let me tell you something. Which checks out with known facts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that was one of those things where you read it and you were like, yeah, that that seems right. So the White House denies it until we have this morning, May 16th. Trump <laughs> tweets that he totally did that. He totally did that. He was because like, it's his right. Yeah, he can do that. He can do whatever he wants. He can do that if he wants. To which these great some of the great um, moral figures of our time come out and go, well, some GOP people come out and say, well, you know, if the the president says it, then it's not it's not classified anymore. Yeah. So technically, it's not a crime. I mean, it's not great. It's not really what we wanted. Profiles encourage the 2017 GOP. It's not what we wanted, but I don't know. I mean, he can do it if he wants. So um, mid-afternoon, we find out that the intelligence uh, that was given away was from Israel, uh, who apparently were already worried that this was going to happen, and it did. Also important, in last night to today, was they uh, trot out, uh, what is his name, McMaster? McMaster, right? Yeah, yeah. The his national security advisor, who was like, "I was in the room, and that did not happen." Right, like literally says those words. Like, "I was yeah, oh, in the room; yes. it didn't happen." And then this morning, Trump's like, "Totally happened. I can do whatever. If you're president, they just let you." You know, and um, and then they trot McMaster out again to do a press conference, and like that's again like this thing of just like. Yeah, you're going to take a bullet for me. I'm going to stab you in the back and then I'm going to trot you out again to humiliate you more. Yeah. And there was an amazing thing last night where uh, all these reporters were sort of in the the hallway where they keep the press and Trump and Sean Spicer and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and some other people were all in the room. And Trump was yelling so loud that they all had to run and turn up all the TVs. Yeah. To try to drown out the sound of him screaming. Yeah. And all the reporters were tweeting things like, we're not sure which side of the hall to stand on because, like, we could hear, like, screaming in one room and, like, just chaos in the other. And, like, then Sarah Huckabee Sanders came out and said, like, I didn't hear any screaming. And, like, it, it, it was just like that. It, like, as best I can tell, the accounts of the White House last night were literally that gift from community where the guy walks in with pizza and everything is on fire. <laughs> Really, really, really. And so you would think now. So we come up peacefully to this afternoon, Dan. And right before we. uh, So let's say it's around four o'clock. I sent you a message that said, oh, we have to start. I wasn't feeling well. I was in bed because uh, I have some neurological flares that 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 are exasperated by stress, Dan. So uh, (laughs) that's that's good. It's good. It's been so chill. Yeah, so, um, you know, they do say that avoiding stress is one of the things. It's just keeping every all the nice chemical levels, even in my body, uh, help with that. But I couldn't. it couldn't be avoided. I had to get in bed a couple hours. And I picked up my phone. I'm like, whew, 
okay, I've rested. I seem to be a little more mobile. Let's just check. And then I picked up my phone, Dan. And then I picked up my phone. And here comes Comey with the receipts. That's right. Uh, so we are literally, like, this happened moments. Like, I was setting up my recording system when I was looking at this stuff. But, yeah, James Comey, according to the New York Times, took notes, uh, of course, after meeting with Trump, when Trump said, you should just let this Michael Flynn thing die. Like, he's a good guy. Let it go. Yep. The president asks the head of the FBI. Sorry, I just have to open the door for a second or I can't breathe. Yeah. Whew. Oh, boy. Hot. Oh, boy. Running yeah. through. It's it like running through all of that. It's yeah, we all know. But like, oh, oh it happened. You know, like that. That is the thing to me that is so unbelievable and I think is actually a really important thing to do is just like, okay, all of these things seem seem not real, yet they are, right? And just being able to every now and then take stock of that, to be able to step back and just kind of look at a chronology helps you, like it helps explain things. Like, I mean, I've said it a billion times on this podcast now, but like, I just feel tired all the time. And like, I have a, demanding job and I do a bunch of other stuff but like that's been true forever and I don't usually feel like I'm going to just just fall over at any moment at like unconscious uh but this is why like this stuff is why that feeling of being constantly on edge that feeling of just like what's gonna happen now you know and also that feeling of just pure powerlessness to actually make it matter you know, to make it stick, to make it happen. Like, that's exhausting. That is so tiring. It is unreal how tiring it is. Yeah, I, my mother's a nurse, and I, I talk to her pretty much every day, and I was having these flares over the weekend pretty badly, and she said, you know, Morena, I just wish you, this political stuff, I, I know it's not good for you, and you... You know, you if only you could get away from it for a bit. And it, it makes you so much more upset than other people. And I was like, no, it doesn't. Like, everyone I know is like this. Like, it's, I feel like if you're paying attention, then you're in pain right now. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, because it's, it's only, there's only so much that your mind can sort of reasonably take. So, Maureen. We, in addition to this crazy chronology and everything else, uh, as we do every week on Says Who, we try to bring in someone from news or culture or somewhere to help us just kind of sort out what the hell is happening. Uh, this week, we are joined by Clara Jeffrey, the editor-in-chief of Mother Jones. And uh, it is important to point out, uh, as we did mention earlier... We record our interviews the day before we record this part of the podcast. And literally moments before we sat down with Clara uh, was when the news that Trump had revealed classified information to the Russians had just broken. So uh, we talk about that. Uh, obviously. <laughs> and uh, we also talk just a little bit more about just kind of like how breaking news works and like what is all like what does it mean when you have an unnamed source and a little bit of Watergate and all of that. So let's do that. Okay, so uh, so Clara, you wrote 
You wrote me earlier today saying basically, I hope we're not discussing breaking news because I'm like busy putting a magazine together. And I wrote back and said, oh, my God, I haven't even opened Twitter in the last like six hours because I've been so busy. So I sure hope there's no breaking news. And like it struck me uh, as, you know, literally like. 15 minutes before this started suddenly my wife came up and was like have you seen twitter and it was like oh god of course like this is where we're at right now like we need buddy systems to keep track of everything that's happening right. and we like, tempted the gods by uh yeah by saying i hope nothing happens so something but of course in. also like of course something was gonna happen you know and I'm just curious, you all at at Mother Jones have been following this story, especially the Russia side of this story, for a lot longer than most. And is this playing out how you expected, like this level of just a near constant news? Is this is this what you thought was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know that anyone knew Back when we started really covering it in, you know, during during the campaign and, you know, during the presidential debates, I think for a lot of folks, it really first started popping up on the radar when they changed the convention platform to um, be more friendly to Russia's essentially invasion of Crimea. Um, and, you know, that that was odd. And there had been other odd statements that Trump had given in regards to Putin. But, um, you know, so it was all the way back then that we really started paying attention. I don't think anybody knew then where this would go. And I don't think we still know where it's going to go. I think, you know, there's a very real question about whether everything that's been going on with the Comey firing and this crazy news today that you're alluding to, Dan, of of uh, the fact that the Washington Post is reporting that Trump gave, you know, highly classified information to the Russian ambassador and the Russian foreign minister in the Oval Office in a meeting that U.S. media was not allowed to attend or photograph and that Russian state media were in attendance for, um, and that this possibly jeopardized uh, an anti-ISIS operation and um, betrayed the confidence of uh, an ally that the Washington Post does not name. I mean, this is incredibly disturbing. And the real question, as with so many of these things, is it just because Trump cannot help himself and gets over his skis and just blurts out whatever um, he thinks is going to sound good at the mo- in the moment, um, or is it indicative of some you know deep nefariousness that's going on in his administration? At a certain point, it doesn't really matter. Um, The incompetence is such that it doesn't matter if they got into it, you know, months and months ago with the intent of interfering with the elections. You know, when Trump, even after he was getting intelligence briefing saying, yes, this really happened, this interference with the elections, here's the information that we have, and he would still go forth and deny it. He is, in a sense, abetting the Russian intelligence operation, whether or not, you know, his folks were in on it from the beginning. And so, you know, I mean, who I think the, the grand question is still, will uh, will the GOP um, allow investigations to go forward in a healthy and independent manner so we can get to the bottom of this? Because it's really, you know, it's it's getting both 
very dire seeming and completely farcical seeming. There's a an amazing sentence that starts the uh, an article in uh, New York Magazine that I felt like it just perfectly hit the pitch of what was going on, which is the disorienting quality of the Donald Trump administration lies in the tension between the vastness of the threat it poses to the health of the republic and the smallness of the president himself. Yeah. And that just seems to be that's where we sit in the middle of uh, the the rumblings of a, a maniacal child king letting people <laughs> I'm st- I'm sorry I'm still catching up like I <laughs> I right. was, this this literally hit the hit the Washington Post front page I think it's now one hour and two minutes ago um, and you know it. And BuzzFeed is already reporting, you know, that they're very good intelligent um, reporters are saying that the information that's in the post is not as as dire as what they know about. You know, so in other words, the post is reporting within the limits of what either the post or those those sources are willing to say in public. But it's, you know, It's yeah, so we, we, reckless. It's so reckless on every front. We pulled front, out our, so our microphones right as this was happening. It just this is we're still mid-brain melting. So, um, and also, I just want to add a little thing just to to really fill you in because I just looked on Twitter and McCain just saw the Washington Post and said, "quote We certainly don't want any president to leak classified information, but if the president does have the right to do that." Uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's it. So to me, you know, to touch on something that that you just said, you know, like everything is sitting in this weird space between dire and farcical, right? And it it like I feel like that lines up with my sort of oscillating feeling of like. Okay, this is it. It's over, right? And then, like, almost immediately being like, no, nothing will ever touch him. And, like, how do you know? Like, you you run a news org. You have folks that have sources. Like, uh, how do you know how to begin to read or to approach any of this? Well, I think as a news organization right now is so much um... – anxiety and I think justifiable anxiety in the air uh, having to do with Russia and just Trump's behavior and fitness for office more generally. Um, You know, that it's our responsibility to sort of lay out what we know and don't know as carefully and clearly as possible while um, saying what the barriers to advancing the public's understanding of what uh, is going on. And, you know, so that's sort of the process that we're in now. Um, we're doing a lot of kind of pattern recognition. I mean, there's so, so much happens every day and every week that it's really important to sort of pull back and show the big picture and to show how all these things connect. And, but to do that in a way that's not, you know, crazy conspiracy theories either, because there's certainly a lot of, there's a lot of kind of glomming on to, people's wacky theories about what is happening with no evidence. And it, it, it may very well be that whatever is happening is truly wacky, <laughs> but we got to know, we got to know what it is. Um, and so, you know, I think it, it, 
it behooves news organizations of all descriptions to just be very um, brave in their reporting, but careful in their presentation of that reporting. It's hard. Uh, again, I apologize because I I was reading this as I sat down and I still feel like I've been kind of struck on the back of the head with a plank. And I'm trying to find the questions to ask you. I mean, as you, when you, um, the firing of Comey mm-hmm. was clearly a big deal. And, you know, now there's all these comparisons to Watergate and how the Saturday Night Massacre and, you know, the the really big deal was messing with the FBI. Do you have any, do you have a take on what's, at, what's really, can you tell us what's happening here and what happens when you start messing with the FBI? Do you know? Well, I mean, I, I only know uh, to some extent what is common sense, which is that, you know, there are people in the FBI and other intelligence agencies that are, are now both, I think, worried about what the president is doing. And I mean, clearly this leaked to the post, um, you know, sources, <laughs> I think take into very careful consideration why they would want to do this and what the implications this will be as, as the post would do. But, um, you know, and I think with the FBI in particular, and who knows where this leak came from, um, frankly, doesn't, doesn't strike me as being from the FBI per se, but, um, that, you know, you've now got a lot of people who, thought Comey was a good guy and a good leader. He was well-liked as a boss. He was well-regarded, even despite all the, you know, very, I think, serious mistakes that he made over the kind of email, various email announcements that were, you know, nonetheless, I think, seemed to be mistakes taken made out of a over-indexing for the, for the concern over the agency's reputation for an independence, basically. Um, but, you know, now you have a whole bunch of people who who are in a position to know things and are not inclined to uh, do, you know, or rather are inclined to leak them if they if they think that it serves the greater good or maybe even just hurts the president. Who knows? Maybe it's useful, actually, to talk about how leaking works right or how how you work with a source that you know isn't going to get named in an article and things like that because i think that that's where certainly one of the you know the underlying narratives of of this this presidency and even even before that is kind of the the fake news and kind of pointing to anything that is 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 you know references a source you know as as kind of undercutting that as well clearly that's just made up and i'm i'm curious kind of what your guidelines are in terms of unnamed sources and how how you all and your reporters approach that type of thing i mean for the type of reporting that we do we don't we don't use unnamed sources as often as some of the stories that are coming out but for two reasons the stories that have been kind of lighting up the news in the past week are are sort of two different buckets of fish, if you were. So there's, there's the, you know, 30, I mean, I think one post story was 30 sources inside the White House now (laughs) confirmed. So this is, this is like various camps inside the White House, right? These are Trump aides, you know, probably some 
Obama era people in there somewhere. But this is a basically a lot of Trump aides knifing each other in the back for whatever reasons um, and spilling to the press to advance their um, own particular agenda, which, as we know, there's some there's some various policy agendas. We know that Trump likes to pit his staff together, that, that there's this weird sort of daddy Stockholm syndrome thing going on where everybody wants <laughs> to keep being his good graces. And it's very hard for, you know, I think the public on the outside to be like, why would anyone want to work in such a toxic, horrible place? But so there's sort of that kind of palace intrigue type reporting. And then I think what you're seeing with Comey and with some of the other, um, I mean, the Comey was in part palace intrigue, but with some of this, like the, this sort of intelligence sources is reporters who are, you know, have been talking to these folks for years. I mean, to take an example that we all now understand in retrospect, I mean, Bob Woodward, you know, knew uh, Mark Felt from something totally unrelated to Nixon, and they just kept up that relationship for years. And nobody knows where those things are going to go. But when Felt wanted to start talking to a reporter, that's the person he turned to. And so, you know, it's folks that have been doing kind of classic NATSAC reporting for, you know, years or decades. Um, and all of a sudden, some of those sources, um, you know, have a story to tell. And to be clear, Mark, Mark Felt was, uh, was Deep Throat, Throat. Yeah. yeah, who was the associate director of the FBI at the time. I, I think, I think that right. was his yeah. title. And yep. he was the source that guided the Washington Post investigation into Watergate by meeting Bob Woodward basically in garages at 2 a.m. in very clandestine manner. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, he did it not out of, he did it because he thought Nixon was disrespecting the FBI. So, I mean, without knowing where, where this is going to take us, we now, I think it's safe to say there are a number of FBI agents and others who feel that the administration is disrespecting the Bureau and other agencies. Um, so just on a personal front, it's handing people motivation, right? And then there may be motivation of, you know, patriotism or any number of other things, right? But but certainly I think, uh, you know, Trump's been kind of kicking at the hornet's nest of these intelligence agencies from the beginning. And it has always seemed incredibly reckless um, to, you know, anyone who's watched a good spy movie or two. As the non-journalist, can I ask, um, getting a leak... Or a source. I mean, I, at this point, I assume that the White House is full of people crouching behind every potted plant with a burner phone. But I mean, do you get <laughs> a, a call, a text, a, you know, the, the plant moving in the window, as in the case of or the flag in the plant in the window, which was how the uh, Deep Throat and Bob Woodward communicated with each other to set up meetings? Or how does how does someone how does that happen? If you, if yeah, it, I if mean, it I, th I think it you. could be all of those things. Um, in the case of a lot of the leaks we're seeing, it, it certainly seems from the reporting around kind of the palace intrigue leaks that this is, you know, it's like my favorite genre of story is the the stories about the Trump administration trying to tamp down the leaks that are immediately leaked. Um, and, you know, like demanding everybody. Really, that really is a classic of the genre. It really, it's really good. It's, it's really good. Um, you know, demanding everyone turn in their phones, demanding that people show their call logs. Well, you know, um, 
So I, you know, I'm sure people are using various apps, but also have burner phones or have phones at home or, you know, meet people they used to go to college with or whatever. It's, it's, it's kind of the same old thing. Um, just as reporters have always sort of worked those sources. I think what's remarkable about the Trump administration is that there's such a, there's, it's so much more leaking than usual. Um, and I think in part because he pits people against each other. And also most of these folks have never had uh, any experience in government. So uh, so what what gets him then? Do you know? Uh, it would be great. Uh, I'm taking bets if anybody. I mean, I, I, I think that there really is a uh, there is a, a risk of people who want to see him curtailed or, you know, impeached or otherwise out of office. Um, to think that that is going to happen in some big fell swoop and that it'll happen quickly. I mean, if it were to happen at all, uh, just even, you know, sensible curtailment, it's probably going to take winning back the house on behalf of the Dems. Um, you know, that, that it's, it's really, it's really comes down to that. Like it would have to either be, um, you know, one or both houses of Congress flip or possibly that, his approval ratings are so low and it's so bad that Republicans, both individuals and as a party decide it's better in their interest, shorter long-term to just um, distance themselves so dramatically and perhaps even turn on him. But as for what that would take, like what specific thing it would be, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, 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 the evidence, uh, mounts every day um, that it is a deeply dysfunctional and ignorant um, administration. And that's like the best case scenario. It does, right? You know, impeachment is a, is a political act. It's not, it's not a trial. Um, it basically comes about when the president is deemed to be so unpopular, basically. I mean, he might be unpopular because he's reckless or because of any number of other things, but essentially it's a, f- a feeling that enough of the public can no longer support him being president. And so, um, you know, that's not going to be accomplished by just liberals. Uh, and you know, it could be that that Republican leaders um, become justifiably terrified of what could happen um, when you have someone who's this reckless and that they would act ahead of sort of their base. But, you know, we haven't seen any evidence of that kind of moral courage uh, thus far. I mean, there were maybe glints of it, maybe one glint of it last night. Who was, who was it? Was it Lindsey Graham last night who said, you know. Yeah, I mean, Lindsey Graham, I mean, I saw this McCain thing and I think McCain, McCain always has a two-step of, um, you know, and he's right. It's, it, it is within the president's executive prerogative to, to declassify stuff. Now that's not usually made off the cuff in a meeting with the Russian ambassador and foreign minister. This is usually something very carefully thought through. 
Um, but as a matter of law, so far as I've understood it from reading Twitter for an hour, <laughs> you know, it is within their right, you know, so, so I think that's, you know, it's sort of another thing, like it is within the right of the president to fire the FBI director. It's just that nobody thought that a president would do that when that FBI director is leading an investigation into their campaign, if in fact they were innocent of you know, what they were being alleged to have done. But who knows? I mean, with Trump, that's the, the problem. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to pull apart kind of motive and like just need for dominance. Like if there's one overwhelming thing about Trump, he just needs to dominate every situation. And so whatever kind of stuff he'll pull from the cloud to do that in the moment, it's not thinking about what the legal or political implications are of that. And so far there haven't been any but good for him, you know, really. Right. Or at least not up until he won. Right. Like he did all these crazy, horrible, terrible things and he won. So, I mean, you know, it's it's reinforcement. You know, he's he's got his two scoops of ice cream and he's uh, he's <laughs> doing a okay. gravy. Yeah. <laughs> Extra yeah. bowl of gravy and different dressing. It's his creamy <laughs> dressing. I'm so sad to know these things. Last question that I have. Um. I, I, I've been struck a lot lately about how just bone tired I feel. And this, th- like, keeping up with this is not my job. And I'm curious how your, like, how do you run an editorial meeting? I just imagine everyone walking in and just laying face down on the floor. Like, how do you keep your staff energized? And, like, how how are people doing this? Yeah. How are you doing yeah, this? Yeah, I- it is it is a problem. I think it's a problem for every news organization and for everyone who's kind of at, in the middle of this. I mean, you know, we try and spell people and we try and just say, well, you know, we're not we don't we don't really have a good grasp or, you know, we, we don't have any value add to the story. Just let it go. Like, let you know, let whoever's running with it go. Um, but it is it is a problem and i think it's a problem particularly when you know uh a number that i like to say to people because it always gets such a stark reaction is that they're you know they're 40% less journalists than there were a decade ago um and so a lot of those losses have been in you know state and local media but it's throughout it's up and down all parts of the media and there are just fewer overall bodies to throw at this stuff. Um, and, you know, I think people are really covering the hell out of this story right now. Um, I think another thing that we don't, that's hard to recognize is what are all the other things that are not being covered as a result, either because they're literally not reporters on them or because the bandwidth of the public's attention just doesn't even, sorry about that, doesn't even, um, uh, have capacity to hear about Venezuela or, you know, Yemen or whatever. So, I, I mean, I don't have a great answer for you. I wish I did. I mean, we, we try and um, take care of our staff and we try and, you know, recognize we can only do so much. But, you know, everyone's trying really hard because they, they think it's, you know, we're at a, a, in a national crisis. Well, we certainly appreciate the work and appreciate you getting on to to help us sort some of it all out. Uh, Most likely 15 new things have broken in the 
30 minutes that we've been talking. So we're going to let you get back to that. Uh, But Clara, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me, guys. You guys, uh, um, I'll read you something very beautiful. I miss Helen. I wish we could bring her back to talk about food. But this is from that article, uh, the Inside the White House article. The details, this is where it gets me. The waiters know well Trump's personal preferences. As he settles down, they bring him a Diet Coke, while the rest of us are served water, with the president sitting at one end of the table. With the salad course, Trump is served what appears to be Thousand Island dressing instead of the creamy vinaigrette for his guests. When the chicken arrives, he is the only one given an extra dish of sauce. At the dessert course, he gets two scoops of vanilla ice cream with his chocolate cream pie instead of the single scoop for everyone else. It's I know that there are a lot of reasons to be like this guy is a monster. But eating ice cream with cream pie is so fucking horrible. Like... Cream pie is one of the great things in the world, right? Like a chocolate cream pie done well. Oh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. In fact, I got Janice a chocolate cream pie done very well for Mother's Day this Sunday because I care about her and I care about pie, right? But you don't then be like, I have this beautiful, creamy, delicious pie. You know what it needs? Fucking ice cream. And, oh, not just one, two scoops. No, it doesn't. You eat ice cream with a fucking fruit pie. That's when you eat ice cream and pie, right? Like, oh, my God, Maureen, when I was in, in, in New Orleans, did I talk about this pie that I had in New Orleans? No. Oh, fuck. I had a pecan pie uh, at this, at this like, 40s diner that uh, they put the pe- piece of pecan pie on the flat top grill and Whoa. they grill it and so it's picking up all the like grease and like gribnets and little bits and pieces of stuff that's on the grill and then they put it hot and they put a big dollop of ice cream on top oh yes that's when you want ice cream with your pie but a cream pie maureen ice cream with a fucking cream pie maureen are you kidding me are you kidding me with this shit nobody does that that's fucking absolutely out of out of there no get it out oh my i'm all hot now yeah also thousand island dressing uh no there's actually nothing i i think that it's fine uh on burgers like uh, on a like yeah sure oh definitely it's pretty tasty i mean it's well established that that's just like mcdonald's special sauce yeah it's like or shake shake shack sauce is is basically like slightly spiced Thousand Island dressing. I didn't know people still put that on a salad. It was like the, it was the other day when I realized that some people were you still using Catalina salad dressing, which is like mm. a tangy. Do you know what Catalina is? It's like a I've tangy. Always, is is Catalina dressing and French dressing the same thing? I've always sort no. of assumed that. Oh no, no. Oh, okay. no. Catalina is like a, it's like a red viscous liquid that has like a kind of tomatoey orangey taste to it, and it was. It was what my Aunt Jerry used to put on her salads in the 70s. Like, it was just like, I thought she was fancy because she used Catalina dressing. Yeah. 
But I don't even know. I mean, I think they still sell it, but it's like a, it kind of looks like thin ketchup. But um, yeah, it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, Thousand Island on your, just on salad? Like, I can't guess, but. So he gets a big old thing of Thousand Island dressing, and these are all ch- like really. These are I. F- I feel like I'm channeling Helen here. These are the the choices of a child. And I say that as the kid, I was the kid that poured, and sometimes still the adult that pours sauce on everything, like just dumps it on there. Like I'm like oh every condiment. I'm the person at the restaurant who collects every condiment. They're like, what do you want? I'm like, what do you got? Bring it all. Just bring it in a hand truck. Just bring it over. What you got? Come on. You want ketchup? You got hot sauce? You got A1 sauce? You got mustard? Just bring it all. Set it in front of me. This is the big difference. Like, the the whole thing of like, oh, he's like, they. everyone treats him like a child. Like, no, chi- children you know are going to grow. Like, you're part of the reason why you're setting limits on a child or you're correcting them or you're, you know, making sure that they're not, you know, putting their hand on the burners and stuff like that is because, you know, they are actually going to advance from where they are right now. You know, like. A 70 year old man is not a child like and one that is super particular and weird and set in his ways and like this this foreign trip um. The word is he is like dreading it, and you know it's because he can't poop at home. Like he's got to poop on the road for a week. Oh, Dan! <laughs> you know that's true, Maureen. Oh, <laughs> he's gonna sneak onto Air Force One to poop. I guarantee. <laughs> I just hit my head on the door frame. I laughed so hard. Um, I don't know if you heard that clunk. That was me. Did. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. <laughs> it's like a pop. Yep. That was me. <sighs> <sighs> Maureen, I so I am now really hungry. I, I was I I know I just went off on that dude and his fucking pie choices, but I remembered in the process of that that I still have a quarter of that amazing chocolate cream pie in my fridge from Who's your mama bakery here in the Chicago area? Um, uh, I really want that pie now. Um, so we should wrap up. Yeah, I, and I will be crawling back into bed. <laughs> so I like, I like how you just emerge to rant for an hour and then back in. You're like I the, did, as, as I like said, the you're the Loch Ness monster the, of politics. I said, I'm like, this is not good or healthy, but God damn it, I'm getting out of bed. And get in my closet. I did have to open the door because I needed the air. Uh, but God damn it, I'm here. I don't... You, I'm here, Ted. You're here. And we will all be here again with you in two weeks. Uh, the next episode... We think. We think. The next episode will be out May 31st. We who think. Knows, who knows what will be happening in the world by then. Oh, God. I'm going to write down my predictions, seal them in an envelope, and mail them to you. Whoa. And then I'll open them live on air. Oh, that's good. I'm going to do that. Let's do it. Uh, uh, Maureen, our theme music is performed by the amazing and wonderful human being known as Ted Leo. And our wonderful Says Who logo is designed by Darth. Darth. At Darth on Twitter. A constant source of actual goodness and light in a place that doesn't have much of it. 
If you listen to Says Who, please do tell your friends to as well and subscribe on iTunes or your podcasting device uh, of choice. Uh, And write a review. It would be awesome if you could. We love the reviews and they really do help other people find the podcast. Yeah, if this is a, if this is something you enjoy, by God, thank you. And uh, those reviews they they keep a they keep this little boat afloat. They do. And if you'd like to be in touch, you can tweet at us at says who podcast. You can send an email to hey that is h e y at says who podcast dot com. And I believe we are also other places, aren't we? We are on Pinterest at says underscore W. (laughs) Come on. Man, we run a tight ship around here. Look, (laughs) it cut us off. (laughs) All right. On that note, from my basement in Chicago, I am Dan Sinker. From my cold up spot in the back of the closet in New York, I'm Maureen Johnson. And this has been Says Who. And I just want to say, our friend Michael Cohen, the originator of Says Who, The Remark, was back on Twitter this week. Jesus. Posting creepy pictures of his daughter doing like... shots of his daughter. And then someone's like, this is kind of creepy. And he said, jealous. And we all barfed.